Welcome to the Peace Catalyst Podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I'm a program director with Peace Catalyst here in the Washington, D.C. area. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Hello, everyone. My name is Keith Giles, and my wife, Wendy, and I are working with Peace Catalyst here in El Paso, Texas. And But I want to say right off the bat here, if you are enjoying the Peace Catalyst podcast and uh, the series that we're going through right now, please do us a favor and take some time to rate and review the podcast uh, because it really helps boost our visibility and encourages others to uh, give us a listen. Yeah. And, you know, we've been doing these Peace Quotes of the Week um, on the Peace Catalyst podcast. And so uh, this week... We chose one by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, lots of great quotes from him, so <laughs> I got a big, <laughs> big inventory. Yes. Um, and this one says, One day we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but that it is a means by which we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful means through peaceful ends. So I think... Um, you know, that's a really cool quote because it, it speaks to how we arrive at the peace that we're seeking. And it kind of goes against that idea of, you know, the ends justify the means. It's like, no, we can only achieve peaceful um, ends through peaceful means. Yeah, it, it reminds me, isn't there, there's a similar quote. Um, I want to say it's Gandhi, but I'm not sure. It's something like, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way or something like that. Mm -hmm. Am I remembering that correctly? There's a similar quote, something to that. Yeah. And um, the idea that um, peace isn't something that we we are trying. Like, I think think what he's trying to say is that um, if peace is our goal, the only way we're going to arrive at that goal is if we actually sort of live it and embody that now, right? And the more we live and embody peace, as a reality in our own lives and our own communities now, that's what makes it possible for us to arrive at an ultimate peace, you know, as sort of our reality, um, the more we sort of live in it in the moment. Is that right? You think that's totally. What mean? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. <laughs> that's what it seems like. <laughs> Embodying yeah, peace. And I could see how you could justify, um, you could justify doing something that doesn't contribute to peace in order to achieve the peace that you're seeking, you know, even if it's like excluding a particular group or like oppressing a certain group of people in the name of peace or, um, or for in the context of the civil rights movement, you know, um, perhaps like using violence could have been seen as a justifiable means to get to the kind of peace that that they were seeking. Um, Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly right. I, that, that's probably probably exactly what he had in mind um, in phrasing it this way. Because obviously at the same time, during this civil rights movement, you know, you had um, kind of a rival to him, Malcolm X. And Malcolm X was sort of like, by any means possible, mm-hmm. sort of like achieving the goals that they had using violence, like, you know, the the people they were opposing that were oppressing them were using violence. And so, well, Hey, we're going to use violence too. And that it really is self-defeating. It's kind of like, you know, you don't, you don't use darkness to overcome darkness, right? Only the light can do that. That's another quote of his also. And, uh, and by the way, also scripture, right? This idea that you, um, you kind of have to meet with an opposite spirit, right? You don't, you don't come at something with the same spirit because all that does is just increase more of that same kind of, Thing and what and, and the thing is that's what you want to in peace work in peacemaking, <clears throat> you know the violence is what you're against. It's what you're trying to uh, reduce. It's so good, and you know I think it's important that just because it's it using peaceful means doesn't mean being passive either. Like the, you right. know the civil rights movement was very strategic. It was very planned out, and they were doing something incredible, but they were using nonviolent means, and yes. it didn't mean it didn't create conflict but really what it was doing was exposing the underlying conflict that already existed and yeah so yeah absolutely and i think that's that's again what martin luther king did so well used very creative means um to react and respond to the oppression and the violence and the injustice mm-hmm. in ways that called attention to the violence and the injustice and the oppression um and, and the ultimate goal was to change the heart of the person who was doing the violence, right? Yeah. 
yeah. uh, to make that person stop and say, what am I doing? <laughs> what, right. What's happening here, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, I, I love that. And I think that kind of thing is much more uh, powerful, much more impactful. And um, it's a very kingdom, you know, it, it's a very kingdom-based, you know, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount kind of principle of mm-hmm. why he tells people, why he tells his followers to do these very seemingly unnatural things, odd things, you know, like go the extra mile when you're only asked to walk one or turn the other cheek if they strike you. And those, those kinds of instructions were meant to disarm the other person and to call attention to the injustice in creative ways that did have the potential and does have the potential to, um, to expose the darkness and, and also bring a change of heart. So I love that. I think all that stuff is really great. And the more we can think creatively that way. That's what I love about Peace Catalyst because it gives us an opportunity to think about what are creative ways we can do exactly that kind of a thing to Mm -hmm. to bring about change. So yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think that's why, um, you know, this series is so cool, you know, where we're talking with Christians who are pursuing peace, um, informed by their faith in Jesus. So um, kind of like, yeah, exactly what you were just explaining, Keith, about the ways that we pursue peace is in, is informed by um, the way that Jesus walked out peace on the earth and who he is. And what's so great about these conversations um, with Christian peacemakers is that it can help us understand how we can also change the world around us and become better peacemakers ourselves. Yeah, Absolutely. That's why we're so honored to be interviewing Devin Turner this episode, um, who is the pastor of Revolution Church here in Washington, D.C., and he's also the founder and executive director of his nonprofit called Justice and Equality. Devin is also a producer, filmmaker, a musical artist. I'm pretty sure he had an acting career at some point, so he's just has a lot of um, amazing things that he does, so looking forward to talking with him. Pastor Devin, it's such an honor to have you here with us today and really looking forward to hearing more about your work with justice and equality in Washington, D.C. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your role as a pastor in the city and how, how you got started with justice and equality? What kind of birthed that, uh, that organization? Yeah, well, I was a youth pastor for seven years at Zion Church and in Maryland, and I felt a call from God to plant a church in D.C., in Northeast D.C., and I knew that just from being a kid growing up in the D.C. metropolitan area, there were a lot of challenges um, in some of the neighborhoods there, and I would visit as a kid and, you know, went to school in Northeast D.C. as a kid, and I just had this strong prompting to be a part of the work that God was doing in the city. And so with my pastor's blessing, I resigned and went to plant in Northeast DC Revolution Church. And we had our first service in 2014. So my wife and my twin sons and I, we, we began to just live, listen and learn and love in the community. And uh, we began to develop partners in the community, uh, clergy and community organizers who wanted to bring more peace into the community and also more justice when it came to uh, um, economic empowerment, dealing with uh, food apartheid, or you know, food deserts in the community, uh, dealing with the gun violence issue, police brutality, things like that. And so, uh, I had been engaging in the work of uh, social justice work as while being a pastor for some time, but it wasn't until last year that the Lord really burdened me to start an organization called Justice and Equality. And what the catalyst for that was was the killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. And so uh, from there, Justice and Equality was formed. It's a uh, Christ-centered, faith-based nonprofit organization. And what we do is um, we advocate for disenfranchised communities, uh, and we do some lobbying as well for laws and budgets to be passed in their favor. And we've been blessed to be in existence for almost a year now. And by God's grace, we've engaged in the social space. We've helped families um, that are in need of support with food, housing, um, support with funerals, um, 
We've been at Candlelight Visuals. We've talked to the Metropolitan Police Department here in D.C. about police relations. We've had Zooms with council members. We've done petitions for uh, budgets to be moved in favor to help support a lot of our marginalized communities in the city that are predominantly African-American and for generations have been really marginalized and kind of accessed and cut off from uh, a fair shake at the American dream, if you will, because of mass incarceration and the drug epidemic that boomed into Black communities when Black people were unified um, in the 60s. You know, um, our, our U.S. government had a role in breaking that down. And um, and what we have now is the, the fallout of what happened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And we still have a current continuation of uh, state violence against Black people, as well as, um, you know, a lack of resources and, and opportunity for a lot of our youth and our adults in our communities to really move forward. And so we're trying to move the needle in the name of Jesus. We, By God's grace, we've been moving the needle. We've been heard. We've been the persistent widow. We're seeing change um, with our local elected officials. We're seeing more peace engaged in the city. So God's just doing a lot, and I'm really grateful to talk to y'all today about this. Yeah, it's so yeah, that's wonderful. So, um, can you talk a little bit about? So, and you've only been doing, uh, you've only had this organization going, you said, for a little over a year, um, but you you still feel like you've seen some progress. So, could you talk a little bit about the progress that you have seen, and also a little bit about the areas where you haven't seen yet that you're still working towards? Yeah. So we've seen progress with uh, last year, we set out a petition to refund and reimagine policing in D.C. Uh, our mayor, Mayor Bowser, had proposed, I think it was $15 million increase into the police budget. And what we have seen in other cities uh, around the country, um, in Oakland, we've seen it in Boston, when the local government puts funding behind clergy and organizing initiatives that are already on the ground doing the work with people face-to-face relationally, gun violence goes down. When you add more police, it police are reactive. They show up after a shooting happens. They don't prevent shootings. Yeah. And what causes the shootings is a lot of lack, uh, a lack of economic empowerment. It, it's a lack of uh, adequate mental health support. Um, the Scarlet Letter, if you have a criminal record, if you have a felony, I think in D.C. you still can't live in um, public housing. So where are you supposed to go? It, it's, 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 um, it's a cycle. It, it's, it's the mass incarceration cycle. And that's why we have that, that recidivism rate, what it is, and people returning back to prison over and over again. So we've seen success where we have been uh, interviewed by the news. We have... Uh, had uh, we've been a part of hearings. Um, I've, I've attended police committee hearings with other leaders and organizers in the city. We have just done what the Bible says. We've made our requests known to the Lord. We have talked to our neighbors, our, our, our community members. We have talked to law enforcement. We have talked to the powers that be. And what we've seen change is that um, our mayor has uh, initiated what she calls the building blocks where it's, a, it's an initiative where she wants to put millions of dollars into communities that are heavily um, are victimized by gun violence to help stop the gun violence, asking the questions, what causes the gun violence? So what we're doing is saying, okay, thank you for that, you know, that website that says that, but let's talk about what you're going to do specifically. Um, President Biden, another thing that we have um, been praying for that's been opening up, President Biden and the Biden administration has said they were going to put billions of dollars into states' programs for um, returned citizens, for gun violence prevention and trauma. But we, as the people, have to ask our governors or ask our mayors for the funding. And so we're currently in the process of engaging our mayor and the city council to release those funds to people like ourselves who are on the ground so that we can do um, what we've seen done in other cities, we've got statistics and data that prove when, you know, you got churches on every corner, 
if the churches, if the pastors are equipped and trained in, in the mental health support, equipped and trained in de-escalation tactics, if we get more funding for after-school programming and things like that, uh, edu- um, job training, um, opening up job opportunities, gun violence goes down. It just does. It just does. And so that's some of the successes that we've seen. Some things we want to see happen in the future. I was a part of a gun violence prevention roundtable recently that was sponsored by March for Our Lives. DC uh, Justice and Equality was a sponsor as well as the Trigger Project and some others. And we had some of our council members here in DC there and we asked them some hard questions. Will they support the NEAR Act, which is a bill that Councilmember McDuffie uh, put in place. I believe Councilmember McDuffie was the one that instituted that bill, but it's about making sure that we have enough funding and adequate support for trauma and, and for gun violence prevention. And then we talked about building hubs. And so most of the council members said that they would vote on it this budget cycle. So now we're engaging the mayor to say, let's release those funds. We see that you hear us now. You know, you're, you're turning your ear. You, you hear it. You know, we can't just write Black Lives Matter in yellow paint on the street. We have to show that Black Lives Matter with the budget. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said a budget is a moral document. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So where you put your money is really where your heart is. And we don't, you know, I'm not an abolitionist. Um, I don't believe that we need to abolish policing altogether, but it needs to be redone totally differently because policing was created in this country to catch runaway slaves. And that's exactly the way that a lot of people police with a very biased heart, um, a lot of angst toward people of color. Um, even if they're of color themselves, they're taught and trained to be very hostile and not caring, not community driven. We need to reimagine the way law enforcement looks like in this country. And we need to invest in organizations that are loving and peaceful in communities so that we can get the support and the adequate help that we need for people in need. So, These are long answers, so sorry, I know I'm probably talking about <laughs> Oh, no, this, you're, you're amazing. This is actually great. I, 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 as you're talking, I'm thinking, I wish I could duplicate you. I, I, we need like someone like you in every major city <laughs> thinking the way you're thinking, doing what you're doing, but uh, also the fact that you're embedded, you're uh, you know, in the community, you're on the ground, you're in relationship with the people that you're trying to help as well as reaching out to and connecting with uh, people in leadership in the community as well um, to, to make this happen. And I, I, it's very, very exciting. Awesome. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. And what, what inspired me was uh, a big part of my inspiration is Reverend Jeffrey Brown uh, from Boston. I don't know if you all are familiar with him or not. Well, I know Becca uh, knows who he is. Um, for those of you that I'll say really quickly, the Boston miracle happened in the mid-90s. It was a pastor named Reverend Jeffrey Brown who got tired of all the homicides in the city. He started doing nightly walks, um, engaging with the shooters, the dealers, and the sex workers. And he began to bring clergy out. They walked between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. And they began to see the, the, the violence go down when they had the shooters at the table, as well as local officials, police officers, and sex workers. And it's called the Boston Miracle because over the course of about seven years or eight years, the homicide rate dropped about 70 percent. And then they brought in a new administration that stopped the funding. And guess what happened? The homicide rate went back up. So we know what works. We know what works. Uh, The Bible says, and all we get to get wisdom, knowledge, understanding and discernment. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is application of the information. Understanding is comprehension of the information. And discernment is, what do I do? How do I move with that information? So we can have knowledge, which is information. But if we don't have wisdom, which is application of the information, we don't have understanding, which is comprehension of the information. And then we don't have discernment to distinguish between how we need to move, then we're missing it. So, you know, I'm I'm tired of elected officials here in in D.C. saying, well, we need more data. You got data. We got data. We know it. We know it can work. Every city is different to some degree, but we know it can work. We've seen it work in Oakland. We've seen it work in Boston. So we are that persistent widow beating down the door of the elected official. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. And so we're going to keep it on, keep on beating that drum until we get what we're asking for. That's so good. And Pastor Devin, I'm actually volunteering with your organization, Justice and Equality, which is 
such an honor because I get to see kind of what you all are trying to do in the city. And even just a few weeks ago, you all partnered with Community Shoulders and DC Peace Team to do kind of an alternative emergency response for people in the city who were going to be um, processing and responding to the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that kind of initiative and you know what that looks like to try to create alternative solutions for people um, who maybe need help or don't want to call the police because they're a person of color and they don't want to um, get arrested or have something violent happen to them. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we, uh, Justice and Equality, we partnered with Community Shoulders, which is an organization here in DC and Peace Walks DC as well. And we said, you know, we want to have a response team that's there in case there's an adverse reaction or response to the Chauvin verdict from our neighbors. And so we talked with uh, white shirts is what we call them here in DC, but you know, lieutenants and captains, we sent emails and text messages saying, hey, we're gonna be downtown DC wearing these bright shirts. And we're just saying, if, if, if something pops up where people are having an adverse reaction, allow us to have a conversation with our neighbors first before MPD moves in because MPD sometimes well, they have a record, a track record of being very physical with protesters, spraying them, you know, pepper spray, pushing, shoving and detaining people that are that are gathering peacefully. And so we wanted to not see that happen. Now, praise God, Chauvin was found guilty. I believe he was guilty. And I was very excited and happy and had a moment where I just cried and knelt before the Lord right there on BLM Plaza. But we had a, a emergency response number just in case people wanted to make a phone call to get some prayer. And we we also partnered with the mental health hotline here in D.C. for anybody that would need some professional psychological help um, processing anything that happened. But the biggest thing I would say, Becca, is, you know, we I heard about this going on in California where a crisis response team was created. Another number you could call other than 911. Because a lot of police officers that I talk to, they tell me, you know, Pastor Devin, I, we're not trained to be social workers. We're not trained to be mental health experts. We are trained to show up <laughs> and if a crime is being committed, to arrest. And if our lives feel threatened, to draw a weapon. So we we need another number in every major, in every city. We need another number and another system in place where, where we can really, really get support for people that are dealing with mental health crises. Even sometimes domestic violence situations may not want a police officer to come out. In D.C., um, our mental health professionals, you know, they get off work at 5 p.m. And from what I understand, a majority of them live in Maryland. And so the hotline number is available. But if someone is having a crisis, if someone is high on drugs or just having a moment or a breakdown, and then get talk to someone. We need a presence. We need a presence. And so, you know, I think for every every city in this country, we need to reimagine what emergency response looks like. What does it look like? And why does it look the way it looks? And what can it look like? Because sometimes we just do things because we're just used to doing them that way. And we don't even question, why do we do that? Why? You know? And I think that we've been conditioned for so long to think that, oh, my neighbor's playing music too loud. Let me call 911. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, there's somebody who's walk uh, walking in the street really slowly, holding up traffic. Let me call 911. Like, and 911 means a police officer is going to come, maybe an ambulance, but a police officer has to respond to every 911 call. That's the protocol. So we need to have another system in place for emergency response that is government funded, in my opinion. Um, Another option is we could have a very community driven model for um, support and, um, I guess, protection in our neighborhoods. You know, the the Black Panther Party in Chicago, uh, that was something that they were working to do. They had the, the breakfast program. They started the food breakfast programs for the children. And of course, they took to arms to defend themselves with firearms and um, 
they were battling, found themselves battling against Chicago police. And, you know, um, if you know the story, uh, it didn't end well in the end with the Black Panther Party, uh, with, the, with the federal government getting involved and all the scandals and things like that. But the, the, the reason why I brought up the Black Panther Party is because if you take away some of those things that you might think are really negative, just think about the idea of adult men and women who care enough about their communities that they feed the children, they patrol to make sure people are safe, they're doing education program, and they're being real neighbors to each other. Yeah. A lot of us live in communities, but we don't really talk. Yeah. We, don't, we don't talk to our neighbors. We don't get to know people. We're very closed off. We'll look on our rectangular electronic device and we might send you a notification or a tweet or a post, but I won't talk to you face to face. And so I think that we have to reimagine community in our cities. We have to reimagine what emergency response looks like. And we have to reimagine what it looks like to really care for one another. Because I think if we begin to do that, we will begin to say, you know what, the way we're doing it may not be the best way. There may be some things we can glean from what Black Panther Party was doing or glean from what we've seen happen in Boston or what we've seen happen in Oakland, where community looks different, where emergency response looks different, you know? Maybe there's some things we can glean from the Bible. <laughs> what Jesus said, you know? Well, what did Jesus say about community? He said, love your neighbor like you love yourself, right? Maybe there's some things we can learn about how Jesus just took time with the woman at the well and he just spent time walking amongst the people. Instead of staying in the synagogue, he wasn't in the synagogue too much. Maybe we as clergy need to get out more. Maybe we need to meet people. Maybe instead of inviting people to our buildings, we need to be building them outside of the building. Mm -hmm. Right? Because mm -hmm. Jesus said we should be living stones. That means that we are alive brick by brick. We support one another. So when I talk to Becca, right, or, or when I talk to Keith, I'm building and building and building. When I talk to someone who doesn't believe what I believe, when I talk to a Muslim, when I talk to, you know, an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, if we live in the same vicinity, we are community. We need to have connections and relationships with one another because that is authentically what God has called, a part of what God has called us to do, to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. Yeah, it's so beautiful, Devin. And it really is so important. And one thing you were saying right there at the end, it just made me think about how what you're describing um is restoring humanity to the other person, right? Because right now we are living in a, in a, in a place, in a, in a time where we are so polarized, we are so tribalistic, right? And so I, you know, we tend right now to only sort of love people that think like me, whether that's politically or, or religiously or, you know, theology or whatever it happens to be. Those are the people I'm that are, you know, in my tribe and that's who I love and care about. Anybody who doesn't think like me, who's, you know, uh, they're different in any way. They're the other, right? But like what you're describing would be, you know, just because of the fact that you, you know, you're in my community, you're a human being made in the image of God. Uh, my scriptures tell me that God is love and God loves everyone. You know, God so loved the world, that's everyone. So uh, he loves you. And it doesn't matter if you are a Muslim or an atheist or you're Jewish or you're black or you're white or you're Democrat or Republican or, or any or gay or straight or any of those things. None right. of those things matter. What matters is the very basic thing would be you're a human being. And so I need to be able to love you, humanize you. I think that's such an important thing. I think we've lost that just just offering dignity and humanity to one another, regardless of those labels, regardless of that tribalistic way of thinking. That's I think that's such an important thing for us to go. I mean, I think it feels like like you were saying, it's coming back to something of saying, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It seems like if we're following Jesus, that would be a very normal way of beginning. Like that, that should be our starting point, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it should be. It should be. But yeah. um, I believe that what is called Christianity has been heavily colonized yes. by white supremacy. Yes. And so the idea of Columbus discovering America, Christians, air quotes, coming over here for their religious freedom only to enslave others. Right. Yeah. It's it's truly idolatry at its core. It's it's not the Yeshua of the Holy Bible. It's the westernized Jesus who believes that people of color are to be put under control. 
and that white is right. And so I think that when we don't have a proper perspective of who Yahweh is, who the God of the Bible is, who Yeshua is, the son of God, we, we, we mix up the gospel in such a horrible way that we even politicize what is called Christianity. And we've seen that in recent years. It's about a donkey or an elephant versus the lamb. Right. My allegiance is with the Republican Party. My allegiance is with the Democratic Party. You're a Christ follower. Right. You're a Yeshua follower. Your allegiance should ultimately be to your God. And so yeah. I totally agree that I think there's been a, a, a whitewashing, if you will. And you know what Jesus said about whitewashed tombs when he talked to the Pharisees. Yeah. You know, you look you look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And I think that we have a lot of people that that look the part, whatever that means. They look like Christians. They know Christian lingo. They know scripture. They go to church, but they're not being the church. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the true power of God. And so that's why I think Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 most scariest passage in the Bible where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons? And they'll say, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And just before that, in verse 16, Jesus says, just like you know a tree by the fruit it bears, so you will know people by their actions. Yeah. And so I think that when we talk about Christianity and just loving people, like you said, keep getting to the core of the faith, we have to do away with a lot of the pagan religion that was introduced into this faith. Yes. When, when white Romans legalized the faith and called it Christianity, it was called the way right. in the book of Acts. But when it got white supremacy influence, it became Christianity and it got legalized in Rome. But then a lot of pagan influence came in, dressing up to go to church, stained glass windows, the idea of clergy, yep. pulpits. I'm not hey hey if you're listening I'm not hating on you if you dress up to go to church if you have stained glass windows if you have pulpits if you believe in clergy like I'm not hating on you I'm just telling you the history do your history research shows that our faith was very organic and neighborly people met in homes Jesus did not dress up Judas had to kiss him on the cheek so the soldiers would know who he was Jesus was a very plain dude in his, his, his attire, and he was a man of the people, and we should be of the people. The whole idea of this prestige and elitism, and I'm bishop this, and I'm pastor that, that is not of our faith. Yeah. It is an influence of paganism that was brought in by white supremacy. Yeah. So some of your listeners might be like, what is this guy talking about? But if you do your research, <laughs> you see, I think it's true. Oh, you're, you're speaking my language here, my friend. Um, yeah. There are... Uh, I'm just going to tag on to what you were saying. There's two places in the Gospels where Jesus tells his disciples. Um, he, he, and first, he points to uh, the religious hierarchy, the Pharisees, right? And he says, look how they lorded over people. Not so with you. Don't let anyone call you rabbi because you only have one rabbi, one teacher, right? That's Christ. Don't let anyone call you father. You have one father. That's God. And then and there's the second place where he points to the secular, to the to the um to the uh, Gentiles, right? And he says, look how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over people. And again, he says to his disciples, not so with you. And so, yeah, you're right. Now, uh, because of what Constantine did, um, the the sort of Christendom that got created when Christianity is very organic, family-based, community-based, community based on love and obedience to Christ, that we have only, only one Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. This is right. why there was like three and a half, 400 years of um, persecution on the church because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. They said Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Constantine shows up and suddenly, well, you know, Caesar's all right. And uh, <laughs> so then that, that was a big, big mistake. And we've been suffering, I think, ever since to kind of get back to our identity and who yeah. are we as followers of Jesus. So we're, this entanglement with the state, this introduction of hierarchy within the church. Uh, the separation of clergy and uh, and the sort of the priest priestly class, and it's and like you were saying, it's not uh, we're not against the priestly class. The the thing is, we're all priests. Um, I'm not against priests in the in the body of Christ. I want to say I want I want to realize we're all priests. We're all members of the priesthood of the body of Christ. 
every single follower of Jesus is already licensed and ordained by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel uh, and the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So um, I'd like to see us move more in that direction. And that's what you're doing. I think that's super, super cool. Yeah, appreciate that. It's really good. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. And I just love how, Pastor Devin, how you just embody, like, embody your faith in the community, I think is so powerful and such a great example for all of us. And um, I'm going to take it back to what we're what you were saying about gun violence um, a little bit earlier in our conversation, because as a volunteer for justice and equality, um, we also, I know, are planning this really great gun violence prevention initiative called Peace of Art DC. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit too. Oh, of course. Absolutely. So in addition to being a a follower of Christ, uh, a husband and a father uh, and a pastor uh, and the founder of Justice and Equality, I also am a, a creative. I'm an artist. I'm a filmmaker, an actor, and a musician. So yeah, there's a lot of parts of me that, (laughs) (laughs) and so, uh, I've released two hip hop albums over the years. Um, and, uh, I performed all around the country, been blessed to have my music played and broadcast over the world, uh, heavily faith-based music in my, in my faith and about helping lift up my community. And so we had a mass shooting happen in August, 2020. And uh, 20, uh, about 20, 21 people were shot, if I remember that correctly. It was, a, it was the, one of the largest mass shootings in D.C. It was a block party and so many people were shot. And we lost one young man, Christopher Brown, at that party. And, you know, after we spent some time helping support Chris's family and helping process and help victims, I said to myself, I was talking to the residents and a lot of the residents believed that a hip hop artist was the target at the party who was performing. And me being in hip hop music, I knew that oftentimes hip hop music would depict some of the most negative aspects of black communities, very misogynistic views and violence. And I said, well, what if we showcased art that promoted peace and love and community? And God gave me the idea of peace of art DC. And so, uh, I saw it as a play on words, P-E-A-C-E, piece of art. Although people say, oh, look at that. That's a nice piece of art. It's a play on words. So Piece of Art DC is a, a festival and a competition for DC residents. And we're blessed to say that we have about 40 participants signed up at this point. And we're going to have two go-go bands perform. Um, and if you're not familiar with go-go music, it is a uh, music style that was created here in DC. Uh, it's a live music format, heavily uh, percussion uh, influenced and influenced by jazz and funk. And um, it's just some of the best music you could ever hear. If you never heard go-go music, you should go check it out. And so we, we're going to do this art festival, have lots of food for the community. We're going to promote love and peace. And uh, we have so many of our fellow organizers in the city that are going to be a part of it. We're going to have uh, elementary school students, middle high school students, as well as adults to participate and showcase their art from fashion design, painting, drawing, uh, filmmaking, all the way up to music performances, instruments, hip hop, R&B and go-go music, singing, dancing. And so uh, we have a lot of community partners that we're working with and we're going to be doing it on Juneteenth, which is June 19th. And that is a very significant date if you're not familiar with that date, because that is the date that African-Americans celebrate freedom from slavery, June 19th. That is, you know, uh, where we, we, we got free-ish, you know? Um, <laughs> you know. We're still fighting for freedoms in a lot of ways here in this country, but that is when slavery was pretty much shut down in, uh, completely, June 19th. So that is, the, that is the Black Fourth of July, and we are going to do it there on that date, and we're going to be at the Boys and Girls Club in Northeast DC on the field, having a great time there in the community, celebrating peace through art and engaging people who are former shooters. We're looking to have uh, teenagers that are incarcerated right now to participate um, in the youth detention center here in DC. We're looking to have um, people who 
have returned home from prison who are in programs that are artists to rap and to come on stage and talk about why they're not picking the gun up anymore. And so we want to have the influencers of the neighborhoods to say, hey, I've turned my life around. I used to be out here carrying this gun. Now I'm not. Let me let me share a song with you and let me talk to you about why I'm not, because we need to see the violence decrease. In D.C., the homicide rate is up about 45 percent from where it was this time last year. In every major city, uh, we've seen a rise in homicides during this pandemic. And I think it's because when you have people that have been oppressed for so many years and are still oppressed in so many ways, boxed in, frustrated, cantankerous, now I can't go out, I can't socialize, the, uh, the, the, the Boys and Girls Club programs were kind of shut down because of the pandemic, the basketball rims were taken away. There's this pent up frustration on top of frustration, on top of fatherlessness, on top of marginalization, on top of a lack of food, on top of a lack of education. I wasn't getting a good education when I was in the building. Now I'm doing virtual learning and I don't have technology. Ah, right. It just, it causes this, this reaction. And so we're, we're not trying to excuse it, but we're saying we understand it and we want to do our part to promote peace and love and community. So that's what Peace of Art DC, the festival and the competition is all about. That's awesome. So great. Uh, I love the work you're doing, Devin. Um, like, like I said, I'll, I'll say it again. I wish I could clone you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're doing some incredible work. And I love that it's your faith that's inspiring you and informing what you're doing. Um, kind of like being led by the spirit as you go through um, looking at the, the challenges and the problems in your community and just taking them head on one at a time. Um, it's really inspiring. It's really wonderful. I appreciate that. Well, that was wonderful, Devin. Thank you so much. Yeah. So really inspiring. Man, what, um, I almost like, what isn't he doing? There's so much, <laughs> there's so much he's doing, um, on so many levels, which is so inspiring. Um, uh, to me, just listening to him talk, it's sort of like this is exactly uh, what every Christian church should be doing in their community, um, working with the community, working with, um, I mean, he's, he's working with the, the police, he's working on, you know, interacting with uh, the local government there. I, mm-hmm. it's, it's just really inspiring, really beautiful. Totally. It's, it's amazing. And I think the, the, I feel so privileged that like we get to be here and kind of be a part of what he's doing with justice and equality. Um, and, you know, just a couple weekends ago, we had the um, Peace of Art DC Festival, which was um, kind of a chance for, yeah, like you're saying, Keith, like how connected he is to the community and wanting to just kind of serve the community and be a be able to, you know, invite them into what Revolution Church is doing, but more than that, to really like equip and empower the youth and the community for their futures and to be able to, um, you know, have the chance to go further with with what they already have. So for example, the, the Piece of Art Festival was a chance for youth in the community to perform their artwork. So there were rappers, there were painters, spoken word, dance routines. Like it was just an incredible array of talent and giftedness and to really provide a space for them to cultivate those gifts and those skills is, is really powerful. Um, and, you know, it's kind of part of this larger effort that Devin talked about with reducing gun violence in the city and particularly in this, this area, there's, um, there's like a hundred blocks in DC, which I think he talked about that has the highest rate of gun violence. Mm. Um, and so he's kind of has this vision that, you know, God has given him to, to really kind of equip youth so that they can have something besides, um, you know, violence where they can turn to something where an outlet for whatever kind of emotional experience they may be having or difficulties with school or family, you know, whatever is going on, that they can have a place where they can come and express themselves and cultivate their gifts and 
um, and, you know, look forward to the future. And it's really cool because Devin is also giving them the chance to get mentoring from celebrity artists. And, um, you know, there's a recording studio at the Boys and Girls Club. So he's kind of trying to get this like monthly program going where these kids can come and, um, and cultivate their, their gifts. So it's really cool. And I, I think it's just beautiful to see that kind of um, community effort to, yeah, to really empower youth and, um, and recognize them for who they are, which is amazing young kids, <laughs> amazing young people uh, who deserve a chance to, to get to do that. So, yeah. Now you, um, you actually were there, right? When um, yeah. they hosted this. Yes. Uh, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of things did you see and were there yeah. any, you know, any things that stood out? Yeah. I think, you know, something that stood out to me is just like how talented these kids are. Like, so talented you like hear we could hear the I was up at the um kind of art station where um kids could come and you know draw on these posters and uh create like face masks and things like that but I would hear the songs um and I was just like whoa like this is really good you know (laughs) like really really good um and I saw lots of you know there was food there was um there were games, there was music, there was art. And I think it was just kind of a beautiful picture of what could, could happen in the community, like on a regular basis. Like Mm -hmm. I remember this one kid that came up to color a face, create a face mask. Um, He was like, once a year, like they should do this every month. And, you know, I didn't even know this place existed. Like I want to come to church here. And he was just like Mm -hmm. so excited at, you know, this kind of um, coming together of the community and celebrating art and um, celebrating the gifts of, of youth there. So, yeah, it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that to me, this is kind of like we were talking earlier, you know, sort of like finding creative ways um, to approach peacemaking. And this is one of those ways, I mean, because I think, <clears throat> I don't know, I mean, I think the typical, if you said, hey, let's get a little task force together, we want to solve gun violence and reduce gun violence in our community. You know, let's get together and sit around the table and uh, strategize ways to do that. Uh, I think typically your your ideas would be more specifically about guns and gun stores and ammunition and regulations and like. Um, but like, I love that this this is such a creative approach to it. Like, let's recognize you know, what is maybe behind the cause of some of this violence that um, these young people are they're feeling like the community doesn't care about them. They don't feel heard. They don't feel listened to. They don't feel they have a voice. They don't feel anyone values what their contribution or sees them. Yeah. Um, let's give them an opportunity. Let's put them on display and let's showcase them and let's make it about them and uh, yeah. give them a creative, you know, safe, nonviolent way yeah. to express um, what they're feeling. And like, I, I'm sure that this absolutely has a direct correlation to reducing gun violence in the yeah. community yep. for all, for those reasons and probably all kinds of other ones I can't even think about. And, um, mm-hmm. and that is so much more effective, right? It's what we were saying before. Yeah. It's so much more effective than just let's pass a law or change a rule right. because then you haven't really changed what's behind what's motivating, right? The, mm-hmm. this violence. And uh, it sounds beautiful. It just sounds like what a wonderful idea. Um, and I do, I kind of like what that kid was saying, like just even hearing about it, I'm, I'm thinking, man, they should, you do this like once a quarter or something or, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, rather than, you know, just like once a year or something like this is, um, uh, yeah, it sounds really, really beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I love what you're saying about how, yeah, this is a creative way to, to reduce gun violence. Cause I think, you know, there can be that temptation of, oh, we need to increase police presence or we need to increase kind of the force that's, that's being used, but that just kind of reinforces trauma, reinforces violence, you know, violence against violence doesn't create um, peace. So um, yeah. So I think that's, that's really important. To yeah. I mean, you know what it kind of, it kind of reminds me of um, <clears throat> it's like the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking, right? Peacekeeping usually does involve an armed presence. You know, this is how we're going to keep the peace. Let's get a bunch of guys out there with, in riot gear, 
<clears throat> and um, tear gas and all this stuff, and we're ready to keep the peace, but in a, but usually with a show of force and with a threat of violence. Um, and as we also know, peacekeeping doesn't always work, and you still end up usually with violence anyway. Right. But peacemaking is more of like what Devin is doing and, and what we've been talking about, and, and both of our, all of our, excuse me, <clears throat> and all of our different um, series that we've done and conversations we've had finding these creative ways to be peacemakers, sometimes over a meal, sometimes using, you know, music or artwork or just listening um, and more of these. Like, I can't wait for us to get deeper into this series because I know there's just some really creative things and beautiful things that um, can help inspire us as we're seeking to be peacemakers in our own communities. And, you know, it's so cool because a part of um, one of the groups that kind of participated in this festival is a it's a nonprofit of retired police officers mm. who actually came and cooked up a bunch of burgers and hot dogs and like <laughs> were giving out cotton candy and free food so that was a really cool um collaboration too to see that kind of um investment in the community and um yeah and I think what you're saying about the youth yeah, giving giving space for their voices to be heard, I think, is so crucial because yeah. um, sometimes it's yeah, it's just about finding a healthy outlet um, and building relationships with you know people you can look up to as well, um, like Pastor Devin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know he talked also in the interview a little bit about um, how he was inspired by Reverend Jeffrey Brown and in Boston, what's called the Boston Miracle. Yeah. And, um, and I looked up, uh, <clears throat> my mind looked up some of what this guy accomplished, and it was really pretty amazing. And uh, how the homicide rate in the area dropped by 79% over, um, you know, five or six year period, um, simply because there was a presence in the community, on the streets, they were intentionally building relationships with gang members and, and gang leaders. Um, and, and that's, again, this kind of thing where I love, I love even seeing how, you know, you could, you can kind of connect the dots between like, okay, so Jeffrey Brown does this thing and this is really beautiful. And then this inspires someone like Devin and then Devin goes and does things like this, yeah. what he's doing and how it just continues to, you know, like one thing inspires another thing. It's like, um, again, in scripture where it says, you know, well, let's, let's spur one another on to good works. And I think it even says in Hebrews, like let's outdo one another in good works. And, and um, yeah. I love that. It's sort of like, let's, it's kind of this good nature sort of like, let's challenge each other to like, well, this is an amazing thing. Well, well what can you do? Well, we could do this. And yeah. it keeps uh, kind of like almost paying it forward of like, let's, how, how can we do even more creative things, more beautiful things, more things that really do um, honor people and their humanity seek to, I mean, you know, like what's going on with, uh, if you're going back to the Boston Miracle thing with Jeffrey Brown, I mean, just meeting the problem head on, he's not running away from it. He's going straight directly into it, going straight to those gang leaders and those gang members. But again, not with force, not with threats, right. um, but with, hey, what's your name? And here's my name and tell me your story and let me listen to you. And what, what are your struggles and what are your problems and how can we work together to solve these problems in the community? You guys could be leaders in the community. You could help us. We could work together and you could be problem solvers in the community yeah. um, rather than people that are creating problems. And all that kind of stuff is so amazing. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm inspired by those kinds of things. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really cool to see, even like bringing, bringing in all different kinds of people to collaborate. Cause I think, you know, I was thinking about the retired police officers yeah. and for them to say, like, we see how important this kind of investment is, you know? And it, I think it could be easy to, even for me to be like, Hey, I don't think it's a good idea to have police people there. Like they're kind of, you know, not very, not only they're not welcome in the community because they are the oppressors in the community, you know, like they're seen as um, an oppressor. So I don't understand how that would be good, but I think that's kind of the holistic picture of peacemaking is bringing in different groups and saying, can we come together and recognize what's actually going to 
lead to peace? Um, and can we kind of all partner on that together if mm-hmm. we see the value in that? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is fascinating too. I think um, you're exactly right. I'm sure in those communities, um, they do see police as the problem. They're, they're the sort of the ones, you know, coming after us. We, you know, they don't trust the police. They don't call the police if there's a problem right. because the police and, you know, typically in their experience end up sort of escalating yep. the violence and the problems rather than, than solving them. Mm-hmm. But what Devin, what Devin is doing by creating a space for, you know, this kind of creative way uh, of, of, giving back to the community, giving voice to the community. I love that it inspires this, you know, former police officers organization to, to feel welcome to come into a space like that and to say, and, and to even to say, look, you know, we are police officers. We understand what's going on here, but we're willing to come forward. We're willing to come together. We're willing to, again, be a part of a solution that's creative and different. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's just it's just amazing, and and without Devin's creativity and vision, mm-hmm. uh, and to create that space, you don't have those opportunities to bring those kind of these two separate groups together, yeah. in in a space that they can again humanize one another, right? See each other as human beings, um, kind of take it, de-escalate kind of that um, that perception yeah. in people's hearts and minds, and. Uh, Again, that's why it's so inspiring and so necessary um, for Devin, not just for Devin to do what he's doing, but for us to have an opportunity to let him share what he's doing. Because my hope with this podcast is that there's some pastor somewhere right now in, a, in an inner city, you know, or in some community where there's violence and where there's conflict, who's li- who would listen to something like what Devin is doing and, and get some ideas and say, oh my gosh, we could do something like that. And we could, why couldn't we do something? And I, my answer would be, you absolutely can. You can. You probably should. And, and um, if you want to get in touch with Devin, you should reach out to him and say, hey, give me some ideas. But I mean, I think um, that's, that's the beauty of being able to share these kind of stories with people and hopefully inspire other people um, to do similar things. And to show the larger scale impact too of like, like you said, there's a direct, you can see the direct correlation between this kind of investment in the community and reducing gun violence and to to show that there is a better way, you know, that there is a peaceful way to, to get to peace, like that MLK Jr. quote. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you know, I'm even reminded of, have you ever seen the documentary called The Interrupters about Chicago? No. It's incredible. It's this group of um, former gang members who are in the streets with people, convincing them that there's a better way to to live than than violence. And they're, you know, kind of like they're called violence interrupters because they go into the community and they build relationships. And Hmm. it's just another example of of people, you know, using nonviolence and peacemaking to um, to interrupt violence and and kind of, um, yeah, seek peace in their communities. So, yeah, you know, it reminds me of, um, and I, I, I'm so bad with names. I cannot remember this woman's name. I actually had seen it on PBS NewsHour maybe about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a there's a neighborhood in Chicago, and um, and there's certain street corner, I guess, in this neighborhood that was known for well, there had been so many drive by shootings and. Uh, so much gang violence in this one community. And so this, this mom in the community, she just like organized a whole bunch of other moms and other people. And they started setting up um, like tables and easy ups and going outside on the sidewalk and like cooking food for everybody and having like a big celebration. And, and it was sort of like their way of saying, this is our street. This is our community. You know, we're not afraid of you guys. We're gonna we're gonna be out here and we're gonna be family together and come together as a community and and they did it with food right they were all cooking everyone was bringing food and they were cooking outside and stuff and again it reduced the violence they they reduced the gun violence there in the community and then they just started getting more and more involved in addressing the violence in not just their block but in the other blocks and the other you know neighborhoods and really inspiring you know that kind of stuff is uh, I love it I just I love hearing those kinds of stories I'll have to check out that documentary that sounds really interesting yeah it's really cool I love that I love that so much because I think it's um 
yeah, sometimes it's just about meeting needs that aren't being met, you know, Um, whether that's for family or food or belonging or, you know, empowerment, like um, sometimes there's just, yeah, how can we find creative ways to meet those, those needs instead of trying to um, inflict more, more pain or more violence onto um, a situation. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you'd like more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peace building work, please go to our website at peacecatalyst.org.